We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Idolmaker on November 14, 1980. It was written by Edward DiLorenzo, directed by Taylor Hackford, and released by United Artists. Ryan Gosling was born day before yesterday. Ooh. Exciting. Bob Marcucci, the personal manager of Frankie Avalon and Fabian Forte, approached producer Gene Kirkwood at La Scala in Los Angeles to pitch this movie. Kirkwood put Marcucci in touch with screenwriter Edward DiLorenzo, and when they had a draft, they connected with Howard W. Koch Jr., who produced Airplane for us earlier this year. He's the one who snuck the photo of his grandson into the film as the it was like the picture for the newspaper headline that said, Boy Trapped in Refrigerator Eats Own Foot. Taylor Hackford had just signed a three-picture deal to direct for Coke Kirkwood Productions after scoring an Oscar for Best Short Film, Teenage Father, in 1978. Is that so, like the Teenage Mother movie? I'm assuming it's something along those lines. <laughs> the that exploitation one? one? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if I should save this for after or for, la- or for now, but the fact that Frankie Avalon and Fabian yeah. both said, hey, we want to make this movie that makes us look like total assholes. They didn't want it. <laughs> and Marcucci wanted to do it. He was their manager. I don't know who Fabian is. How do you not know who Fabian is? I don't know. Is? I, I don't know who Fabian I've is. I've never heard of him. Is he as famous? If he's as famous as Frankie Avalon, I'd be surprised. He's, he's as famous as Fabio. He's probably slightly less famous than Has Frankie Avalon. Has he done Avalon. like one of those, what was it? A butter commercial? That's that's how I, I remember can't believe Fabio. It's not butter. <laughs> I, I always think of when he was on that the debut of that roller coaster ride and he got hit in the face with a goose that was like sleeping on the roller coaster. <laughs> I don't know that one. It was literally the first time they ran the ride for the public and he was in the front row and this goose had fallen asleep on the on the ride and then it flew up to fly away when it heard the roller coaster coming and it just smacked him right in the nose he had goose blood all over his face and uh on the daily show the headline was goose goose duck (laughs) that's good stuff well i will i will say that i do recognize fabian when i looked him up as oh i know this guy dude okay maybe Uh, i'll look him up but i know him from the most obscure random movie dear bridget uh, i've never even heard of that yeah it's a jimmy stewart movie that i love and as soon as I saw his face on his IMDb, I was like, oh, yeah, he's in Dear Bridget. Yeah. Actor Paul Land moved into Marcucci's home to prepare for the role. In the original draft, the singers were more sympathetic and the producer was less so. Singer Fabian Forte, who served as the inspiration for the Guido Cesare character, filed a $64 million suit alleging defamation mm-hmm. and invasion of privacy, eventually settling out of court for a cut of the home video market and Marcucci's <laughs> full 7.5% ownership of the film. Huh. This film is the first film of actors Peter Gallagher and Paul Land, both of the, the rock star characters. Peter Gallagher credited his work as Danny Zuko in the original stage production of Grease with preparing him for this role. And it's Joey Pant's third movie, 
uh, but it's his first character with a name. He'd been in two movies previously. And it's a, I mean, it's a pretty substantial role. Yeah. 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 And he's Ro- so little. He's so little and cute. I yeah. love it. He's adorable. I love him so much more now that I've seen him in this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rob Lowe auditioned for the Tommy D role and was turned down. That seems like a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Maybe he's sure. just too likable. That might be part of it. <laughs> I mean, he was... He, yeah, and yes, really... the implication is that I didn't like the Tommy D character. <laughs> but he would have been really young, too. He might have looked a little too young for this role. Yeah, this is like pre-Outsiders. Even. Yeah, exactly. Actor Ray Sharkey and producer Gene Kirkwood both got Golden Globe nominations, and Sharkey won his. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for what? <laughs> for the lead character in the film. Oh. The guy that you don't like from Willie and Phil and... Mm. Uh, you know, I actually liked him. I mean, I didn't like this movie, but I liked him in this movie more than I liked him in his other roles. I think I liked him exactly as much <laughs> as I liked him in those other two roles. I felt like he acted more in this one, though. I think he did a really bad job of acting in this one. Oh. But we'll we'll get to that. Right. And our director here, Mr. Taylor Hackford, is Mr. Helen Mirren. So congratulations to him. <laughs> Good choice. We start the film with Vincent Vicari tapping the dash of his car along with the radio before swerving into a parking spot and popping his collar. He checks himself in the side view mirror, and then he watches a kid named Tommy on a street corner hustling other children out of their money with his street games. What? And how does this game work? Give it, me your money, and then maybe I'll give it back. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it seemed like he was just like saying, say numbers, say numbers. and then oh, he's wrong like, number. Thank <laughs> you. Wrong number. I'll give me your money. It's like that Vegas vacation when they go to the, yeah. the shitty casino and they're playing like war or pick a number. Pick a number? I, I'm great at that. Four. Seven. Tommy invites Vinny to come see his new group. I'm looking for singers, not saxophone players. Hey, we got a singer, Vinny. A new kid, Jimmy Ryan, blonde hair, blue eyes. Vinny buys a stack of Teeny Bop magazines. He points to the guys on the covers and says, uh, Women don't want the blonde singing idols. They want dark hair. They like dark hair. Take Frank Sinatra, Elvis. Know what I mean? Vinny gets to work late as a waiter at a fancy restaurant that his brother owns. He stacks a bunch of plates precariously and rushes out of the kitchen as the manager, his brother, dresses him down. Vinny's partner Gino shows up in the kitchen looking for him. The manager says, uh, he's a bit busy, but Gino just wanders into the dining room and starts talking to Vinny right at the table as he's serving a couple. Yeah, at first I was I was confused that I didn't know, realize it was his brother. I was like, man, this guy lets you get away with a lot of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know. You get to come back here and work later again? Not now, Gino. Now, now Vinny, now. Jerry Martin. Just call me. Excuse me for a second. He's at the Onyx studio. He says, we want him to record our song. We got to go over there right now and talk to his producer. He's not supposed to do this till next week. Gino and Vinny essentially quit Vinny's job and head over to the studio. Once inside, Vinny yells at Jerry Martin for trying to record without him. Apparently, they had split the cost of studio time, and then Jerry thought that he could just sneak in and use all of it before Vinny got there. But the studio head tells Vinny how their deal is going to work. They're going to put Vinny's name on the label and get the song Exposure and put it in all the jukeboxes in town, but they will maintain all the rights to the music and keep all of the money. Vinny obviously doesn't care for this deal, and the studio head goons pin him against a wall and say, If you do it, you do it, or you do it. Those are his three choices. Vinny tells them to shove the contract up their ass, and the studio guy tells Gino to talk some sense into his friend. 
And apparently everyone in this movie is a gangster of some yeah. kind because they all have like muscle or thugs or this prestige yeah. that everyone's afraid of. It's weird. At home, Vinny plays the piano and sings as his mother sneaks into the room, clearly enjoying his music. She encourages him to record an album himself instead of pursuing a studio deal. She tells him to hit up his father for money because he owes it to Vinny anyway because he didn't provide for him as a child. Better he should give it to you than one of his whores. Listen to that. Vinny goes to see Tommy's band play. The crowd is going wild for his saxophone work. Tommy sings a bit before handing off the mic to Jimmy Ryan, and the audience is basically falling asleep, like, immediately. Yeah. They don't like, care about the new singer. Like, every time they said Jimmy Ryan, I was like, James Francis Ryan? <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> In Saving Private Ryan, when they're, when they're, when Tom Hanks has just had enough, and he's just like, he's like, James Ryan? James Ryan. Some guy goes, hey, this guy knows James. He's like, you know, you're talking about Jimmy Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Private Ryan? James Ryan? Jimmy Ryan? James. James Francis Ryan. No, no, no. James Francis Ryan. Tommy follows Vinny out of the club to see what he thought of Jimmy Ryan. Apparently walking out 10 seconds into the song wasn't a clear enough message. Vinny tells Tommy he's not impressed by Jimmy. Everyone in this movie has the same name. Vinny, Tommy, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. That's annoying. Uh, Vinny tells Tommy he's not impressed by Jimmy, but that Tommy himself might be the voice he's looking for. You could be Tommy D. Who the hell's Tommy D? Vinny tells Tommy to be at his house at 9 a.m. sharp the next day. The next morning, Gino is at the keyboard while Tommy is singing and showing off his signature dance moves. For the lyrics, here is my love, Tommy grabs his crotch and Vinny is clearly uncomfortable with the overtly sexual performance. Tommy says, this is what the ladies want, and Vinny reminds him that the gig they have lined up is for a junior high school. We cut from a second, less sexual take on the song to a recording booth where they're wrapping up a golden take of Here Is My Love. Although it seemed like they just interrupted the song before yeah. they were done, but I guess Maybe was they the already had out. the end. Yeah. It was this fading out. Vinny takes the album they recorded around town and gets the same shit deals from everybody. Nobody wants to give him any credit for it. They just want all the rights. Vinny thinks that with a little capital to invest, he could get the ball rolling and see some real attention from producers. He agrees to meet with his father on the stipulation that they meet in Mario's, that's the restaurant that his brother owns, so that he'd be on his own turf. In the restaurant, Vinny makes his dad's girlfriend leave the booth before they talk and she obliges. His dad tries to start things friendly, but Vinny is very confrontational and doesn't feel like wasting any time. He criticizes his father for being a criminal and philanderer and then asks him for money. <laughs> And his dad gives him $10,000, which apparently is exactly how much he gave his brother to start this restaurant. Vinny tells him to consider it an investment and that he will repay it. You know, your brother offered me nothing. Why are you so good to me, Vincent? Because I'm better than you, Pop. The next day, Vinny fills his car with boxes. I'm not sure what these are. Is yeah. it just records? Yeah, I think it's the printed records that he spent his money on. That's a lot of records. Well, and he, and he seems to have two versions of the record. He seems to have just the, the one without vocals, and, and oh, he has an instrumental uh, one. Yeah, because that's the one they play at the right. At that the makes dance. sense. Um, but then they also, I, I'm assuming they have a full I wasn't single. sure if the one they played at the dance didn't have vocals. I thought <laughs> oh, it might true. have been lip syncing. Yeah, he's going to have a Millie Vanilli incident. <laughs> but they drive this this car full of boxes out to. A, a dance at a junior high school hosted by a radio station. Tommy takes the stage in front of a banner with Tommy handwritten on it in white on red. It just looks like half of a Tommy Hilfiger billboard. Mm -hmm. It's like the same font even. 
Uh, the kid manning the record player with his backup music screws up a couple seconds into Here Is My Love, and Tommy has to restart, but the crowd seems to really like the music. Vinny is lip-syncing and dancing along with Tommy for the entire song in full view of the audience at the edge of the stage. I feel like this would take away a lot from their performance to watch a yeah. second guy pantomiming the same moves. Tommy sticks around afterward to sign autographs for the show. Vinny sits down with the DJ who hosted the show, and he seems unimpressed by Tommy's performance and hands the record back to Vinny, telling him it's harder to get on the radio than he thinks. Vinny realizes what the guy's asking for and slips a hundred bucks into the record sleeve, and the DJ takes it back, agreeing to three or four plays a day. Huh? You're on the air, Vinny. Was it, this was 57? 61. 61 is or, when... Well, 61 is the date that we actually get to see a banner, which might be a year or two later. Yeah, it's March 17th of 18 or 1861 <laughs> and you see lincoln in the background no 1961 but uh that's when cesare is having his big right, right. show at so the this end. might be a year or two yeah, earlier than that the, the timeline's very loose yeah it's a hundred bucks though. it goes a long way yeah it is a lot of money that's that's called payola where you would just pay the djs to play your song more i learned that in a music class in college outside tommy has apparently promised a girl from the audience a copy of the record and leads her to his car he hands her a record and then forces himself on her against her protestations yeah. until Vinny interrupts and yanks her up out of the car. And then starts blaming, blaming her. her. Yeah. Well, I think that that was probably pretty typical of that time period. I'm sure. But additionally, if he shames her enough, she's going to keep it under wraps, which is exactly what he wants. Yeah. yeah. But he's still, like, what are you doing? Uh, you're not supposed to be here. Do your parents know that you're here? Tell me something. Don't you know that I just wanted a record. He promised me a record. Look at your sweater. Please button your sweater. You should be ashamed of yourself. He gives her a handful of records to buy her silence about Tommy's shittiness. And even after all that, and he says, like, we're not going to mention the word. She goes, no. And then she's like yeah. sobbing. And then she goes, bye, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell she still likes what? him. The next morning, they hear Tommy's song on the radio for the first time and celebrate by spraying shaving cream all over each other. <laughs> this was very weird. Yeah, this is the first note of something that didn't pay off yeah. later on the film. <laughs> I got like some Top Gun vibes yeah. here. Oh, see, I was getting the, the gasoline fight vibes again. Yeah, either way, it's, it's, the, it's the volleyball game. It's the gasoline fight. It's both of these things. Vinny finds Brenda Roberts in a restaurant working and drops a bouquet of flowers on the table. She thinks there must be some mistake, but he says it's a trick he learned from Clark Gable. When he says that in some old movie, Clark Gable needed a favor from a high-powered magazine editor played by Claudette Colbert. As far as I can tell, Clark and Claudette were only in two movies together. In It Happened One Night, she's just playing a rich heiress, but she isn't a magazine editor, and I've never seen Boomtown. But judging from the synopses I could find, that's not it either. So he might just be making this up whole cloth. <laughs> Now that he has given up on his ruse, she asks him to leave, and he hands her a headshot. She says to leave the picture with reception, and they will try to mention Tommy, but Vinny demands the cover. It's a great idea, Mr. Uh, Vicari. Vicari. Call me Vincent. Vicari. It's just that we're not in the habit of putting a total unknown on the cover of the number one teen magazine in the country. He tells her that she's an idiot for leaning so hard on Elvis covers, and then holds up Tommy's headshot again and she starts laughing and compliments his tenacity. Even though, as a high-powered magazine editor, she probably deals with this shit all the time. I don't feel like he's being especially aggressive. It's not like he even comes back a second time. It's just once that he's arguing with her. Well, the thing that I find even more hard to believe, you know, than, than her thinking that he's aggressive, is her finding it at all charming. Yeah, she's laughing through his whole effort here. Yeah. 
She agrees to meet with Tommy to vet him in person, alone. In the complete absence of Tommy's charisma, the meeting goes impossibly well, and she grants them the next cover for no apparent reason. She hasn't even heard the album yet. She just met this guy. She, she, he gave her an album went with the headshot oh, okay. at so the Okay, so maybe restaurant. she listened to it yeah. before she mm-hmm. talked to him? Okay. Mm-hmm. In exchange, she wants a year of exclusive reporting on Tommy and 50% of merchandising. Vinny reluctantly agrees to the contract. Magazine covers fly across the screen, and we cut to the set of National Bandstand. The first group takes the stage, and Vinny takes Tommy's tie and jacket off backstage in a flagrant disregard for the agreed-upon dress code. In the middle of Tommy's song, Sweet Little Lover, he walks past the cameras on stage and out into the audience. The guys in the control booth are freaking out about it as they try to cut away, but somehow Vinny is in the booth too, and he's like directing the show over their shoulders. <laughs> no, get a shot of this girl. And uh, the girls are all crying and freaking out in the audience. By the end of the show, the people in the control room love this new angle on, on how they're going to do their jobs, and we cut to fat stacks of fan letters just filling a room. Do we have any idea if this happened, like Frankie Avalon or whatever, changed american bandstand i don't know i'm not, I'm not i mean i think that. this is obviously a even if dramatization even if it did happen it was a yeah a, a fake version of it because i can't imagine that that would have that would fly and get on air yeah but the weird thing is that the set that they're using for the american bandstand show it's is like the same set auditorium. that they were using for the high school <laughs> dance yeah and it's just like it's this you know measly little stage and there's only like a hundred people in the audience it's Mm -hmm. like this was your this was your studio audience the cameras can barely fit on the stage yeah yeah especially those old time cameras we see a quick montage of happy crowds after shows and tommy flirting with girls and then drinking and popping pills right and then we see him actually slipping into the worst habit of bringing underage girls back to his hotel room after the show tommy shows his mom their new home but she seems very disappointed considering how supportive she was earlier. I assume this is a house they will be sharing now. Yeah. I mean, I guess because they were already living together. Right. But it, it just seems like you're you're rich now and you're going to buy a second house for both of you to move into. It seems like either you get your mom a house or you get yourself a house. Well, I think, I th- I think that their relationship is pretty close. Yeah. And so that living together is, is pretty natural for them. Yeah. Uh, but I, and at first I just don't know if she's like – daunted by the size or the opulence of the house like it's too but she's, much she's picking on it immediately yeah when she's the one who said go get money from your father and produce your own record album and become a huge hit mm-hmm. and he did exactly what she said and she's still very upset about it Vinny takes brenda out for a celebratory dinner Vinny toasts to them and brenda adds tommy to the toast but Vinny seems annoyed by that trying to clear the table a waiter accidentally drops a bunch of plates on the floor Vinny starts shouting at the kid and calling him names, but we don't see the kid's face until he speaks up to defend himself. Don't call me names, huh? Vinny is hypnotized by the kid's face. The kid is apparently 16. His name is Guido, and he's working here to help his grandmother. After this encounter, Vinny goes way dark. He was just so excited about the progress they've made with Tommy, and now he says, this isn't what I wanted at all, and he's just, like, crying in his drink. But uh, I guess that sets... So if he's... 17 when they do the big show in 61 and he's 16 here so it couldn't have been more than a year so it's probably the 60s the whole time brenda tells Vinny he could probably use a break himself and he basically just tells her to shut up i want professional help i'll go see a shrink in the meantime mind your business okay she stands to leave and we cut to a fish market where Vinny is meeting with his father again he pays back part of the loan from his father and his dad compliments his suit he almost looks successful 
I am successful, Pop. I think he's definitely paid back the loan in full. Yeah. He called it dividends from his investment. So I, oh, think, okay. I think this is above and beyond the loan. Oh, okay. Uh, also, I I like the... I, I wish we saw more of this father character because I actually come I come to really like him in this scene. At the end of this scene, yeah. Uh, because he, he's talking about... Earlier he mentioned that his brother... He gave the brother money for the restaurant and he, he didn't get anything out of the restaurant. But he says, I pick all the fish for your brother's restaurant from here. Yeah. So, so it's like not only did he give you the money, but he still has to do some of the work of keeping yeah, the restaurant. Yeah, he, he, he's supplying the restaurant with with food that he's hand selecting yeah um and so he's still trying to to keep an interest yeah and his dad even said something like yeah he runs the restaurant his own way and he takes the money he spends it on supplies and then pockets the rest and mm-hmm. it's like i don't see anything from the restaurant even though technically i'm the owner of the restaurant dad says he needs to repeat this accomplishment of pushing someone to stardom if he wants to prove that it wasn't just luck he also advises Vinny not to invest so much in the same guy and reveals that he got word that Tommy is meeting with other people in the entertainment industry. Which, I like that touch, too. That the dad is so savvy that he's, like, even ahead of this guy in his own game. That he, I've been keeping track of your guy. And, mm-hmm. and I, I found out through the grapevine that he's meeting with other people. So he tells Vinny the name Delano. And he says that if you don't get Tommy on a contract, that you're basically fucked. In the restaurant later, Vinny apologizes to Guido for chewing him out when he dropped the plates. Then Vinny turns his attention to practicing the ancient art of mixology, combining random sauces and powders <laughs> and eggs from a buffet tray. So here's what I think is happening He's here. making a salad dressing. He's making salad dressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was but just I was watching first, it like, what the I was hell? like, I thought he was making a drink. And I'm like, okay, so you're putting the egg in. Okay, yeah, there's some drinks that are made with eggs. Like maybe this is like a, you know. The avocat. Yeah, like the, from The Shining. The avocat. <laughs> avocat. That's the one that... Uh, that the guy spills on uh, Jack Torrance and then they oh. go into the bathroom to wash it off. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's that one. I thought maybe this is like the, the prairie oyster kind of thing or oh, like okay. one of the hangover drinks. But no, I'm like, Then he just dumps it in a salad. Yeah, I'm end. like, oh, there's salad. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> still, it's like, sense. did they roll this cart over here? Like, it's not even like a salad bar. It's literally a salad dressing bar and mm-hmm. you have to make your own no, salad I think, dressing? I think what they're implying here is He makes that, it for the restaurant? No, 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 no. So it's like one of those places like we've gone to before where they bring like the... Um, the guacamole mixings to the table and and your waiter is going to make this fresh in front of you. I think the same thing is supposed to be true for this salad dressing so that he got all the ingredients he wanted. But, but I think the implication is that I'm better at this than you. I'm going to make my own salad dressing. Yeah. It, like he probably sent three salad dressings back yeah. and he's like, you know what, just bring me all the fucking shit you yeah. have back there. Yeah. I'll do it myself. Delano sits down across from Vinny and they have a very contentious chat. Delano wants to sell Vinny on using his services to help book Tommy and manage his career, but Vinny calls him out for trying to steal Tommy outright. Vinny offers to make a deal with Delano to help manage him if he can find Tommy a decent part in a film. That afternoon, Vinny goes to Guido's home to meet his grandmother and ask her permission to manage her son's career. He speaks in Italian to help win her over. I I, I had no subtitles. Yes. So uh, I don't know if the original film had subtitles or not. Yeah, this was a this was a YouTube watch, and we didn't have subtitles for the Italian, but it's close enough to Spanish yeah, that I, I could also, kind of guess what they were saying. I don't think it matters. Yeah, but because um, I I understand Spanish when I hear it, um, and it was there was enough words that I could pick up. But she thinks of singers as vagabonds, and he assures her that there's a difference, and that what he's 
what he's doing could be great. They talk about where in Italy their families are from. She offers him some homemade cookies, and it looks like he's basically won her over. And apparently she signs over, like, legal guardianship to Vinny to take care of this kid. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd have to if he's going to be going... Across state lines and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, you, I mean, you have to be more than a chaperone. Yeah. We cut to Guido practicing singing, and it doesn't sound great to me, but he seems to approve. Push it! Push it! All right. Come here, kid. <laughs> All right. You made it past the first hurdle. You got a voice. <laughs> it's like, really? Okay. Vinny reminds Gino to stop calling the kid Guido because he wants to get him used to his new shitty stage name, Cesare. I don't understand this name. It's awful. I mean, I don't understand the pronunciation to begin with. It's spelled like Caesar with an E at the end. Right. And but so, it rhymes with Desiree. Yeah, it's just the pronunciation is weird. And, and I guess maybe it's... Are we implying that this is an Italian pronunciation? I don't know. I don't know. I think it, it was the closest uh, stand-in for Fabian that they could come up with. I guess. But it's but it also just sounds dumb. It really does <laughs> sound like dumb. a really it, dumb it sounds stage name. <laughs> very effeminate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think is a weird choice for the character that you're trying to make out of this guy. Vinny sends Gino on the road with Tommy, and he says that he's going to work with Chez which is his nickname for Cesare. Ches is a terrible dancer also. He's also not very patient with Vinny's dancing lessons. Vinny insists Ches has what it takes. When Tommy sees Gino is his chaperone on this leg of the tour, he throws a little hissy fit about being replaced, and Vinny's like, oh, poor baby thinks he's getting replaced, oh no, and he totally is. Vinny introduces his stars to each other, and later Ches tells him that Tommy looks like a real star. When I get through with you, you're gonna stop traffic. We fade to Chez's makeover, and he's rocking a big old pompadour at the restaurant. They sit down and have dinner, and the whole team, including Tommy, Chez, and everybody else, walks into the Palisade, which is the club where Tommy got his start. They're here because it's a very tiny venue, and there's really no risk of a bad performance here. But somehow Delano heard about this, and he just showed up to see how it goes. Backstage, Tommy tricks Chez into smoking a bunch of cigarettes for the first time, he also lies to him that this show is a very big deal and that if he screws up, it'll cost him any chance at superstardom. Delano meets with Vinny at the bar and says, hey, I got Tommy a part in a cowboy series as a cavalryman. And Vinny says, that's no good. I asked for a movie, not TV. Delano thinks Vinny is wasting Tommy's career. When Vinny goes to collect Chez from the green room, he's all sweaty and hyperventilating. Tommy takes the stage first and introduces Cesare. Right away, the performance is a joke. He can barely choke out any lines of the song. He's just dripping with sweat, and eventually he rushes off stage in embarrassment and out of the building. Vinny chases him outside, where he just finished throwing up, and tells him none of this mattered. It was just a shitty prank by Tommy. Hey, Vinny, would you give up? I don't have it. I couldn't do it. Don't you ever let me hear you talk like that again. You understand? It honestly bothers me how lightly Vinny is shaking the kid here. Like, it doesn't match up with how frustrated his voice sounds. He's just sort of holding his shirt and, like, lightly tipping him back and forth as he's shouting full volume. I can't tell if they were just worried about wrecking the shirt before he went back on stage <laughs> or something. But he tucks Chez into a car with Gino and says, take him home. Brenda offers Tommy a ride home in her cab. So when she offers him a ride, 
He's like, no, I got to go take care of Tommy. And she's like, uh-uh. He went home with uh, the other Delano. guy, Delano. Or yeah. Delano. Mm-hmm. It's probably Delano, right? Well, yeah, Tommy even says, I'll go, I'll hitch a ride with Delano. But is that Brenda. the name? Is it Delano or Delano? It's Delano. It's Delano. It's not Roosevelt's middle name. That's not Roosevelt's middle name. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Franklin, Correct. Franklin Delano. 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 No, you're mixing his wife's <laughs> name with his middle name. <laughs> Bully. That's not even the right Roosevelt. <laughs> <laughs> this has nothing to do with Teddy. Leave him out of this. On the ride, she tries to give Vinny some advice, and he tells her repeatedly to shut up, but she won't hear it because she's genuinely trying to help him. Suddenly, he violently takes hold of her, and she thinks he's going to hit her, but he starts kissing her instead. Up until this point, I was sure the Vinny character was supposed to be gay, but apparently not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought it was 100% implied already. Yeah. And now it turns out that he's kissing this girl, unless he's just trying it. I don't know what's happening here. Doesn't seem like it, based on the rest of the film. Uh, also, what happens in the rest of the film? I mean, they're around each other a lot because they're business partners. But yeah, and they're—I mean—they end up in bed together. And yeah, that that this one scene yeah. where I was like, why did this happen all of a sudden? I oh, guess. But because- I'm also saying he doesn't make any like moves on any of these guys. It's professional. <laughs> Is it though? And they're having like shaving cream fights and stuff. It's just a little it's it's uh it seems out of character for him to suddenly make out with a woman. That's all I'm saying. Uh also this is a really healthy way to start a relationship after violently yelling at each other and then v- feeling the threat of physical violence yeah. going into the throes of passion. Yep. It's like, yeah, this relationship's not going to go well. But we cut right to them after having had sex at her place. She tells Vinny a cute story about how at her Catholic school, the nuns would separate the kids and say that they have to make room for the Holy Ghost. In return, Vinny tells her a funny story about how he couldn't get laid in high school, so he lost his virginity to a prostitute. (laughs) (laughs) Basically the same thing. not really what I was doing, but okay. (laughs) I'm happy for you, I guess. Brenda tells him all Chez has going for him is his face, and Vinny's like, oh my God, you're right. That's it. I'll just put his face everywhere. So they wallpaper the town with Cesare headshots that are being stolen all over town by very excited girls. We get a montage of singing and dancing practice going much better. Ches seems to be struggling with quarter notes, and Tommy jumps in to show him how it's done. All the all the Cesare is here reminded me of the Gabo is coming from The Simpsons. <laughs> Look, Smithers, Gabo is coming. Ah. Uh. Yes, sir. Vinny and Tommy move out of the room for a fight because Tommy just learned about the TV series Vinny turned down. He says he's going to take the job anyway, and he's leaving Vinny officially. Chez comes in and tries to fight with Tommy for some reason, I guess to defend Vinny's honor or something. I don't know why he picks a fight with Tommy. Tommy leaves with Phil, and by the time Vinny gets back inside, Chez is already stepping up his performance and nailing all the quarter notes. We cut to a crowded auditorium cheering for Cesare. Vinny is demanding more security, but the guy running the venue says, they have plenty, they've never needed any more than they have, it's fine. Then Cesare gets on stage and he's instantly swarmed with girls that just leap up over the sides and wrap around him. They're tearing his shirt off. Yeah, it's torn to shreds by the time he gets off stage. But he rushes back behind stage and the venue guy apologizes for his mistake. He says he's going to bring guards in from outside and... Uh, he promises that it's going to be safe before they put Cesare back on stage. But when Cesare goes back on stage, there's still girls yeah. on the on the opposite side of the security right. line. So there's still girls that could jump on stage that's just not doing it this time. But he's terrified backstage, and he's literally throwing up because he's worried that he's going to get murdered by these girls. Well, it's also his seems like his first official performance. Yeah. 
Vinny talks to the kid backstage and tells him to keep wearing the torn up shirt because it looks great. Cesare takes the stage and performs the new song flawlessly. I think Peter Gallagher's actually singing uh, because he was Danny Zuko in the original run of Grease. The crowd is freaking out for this and his shirt continues to fall apart as he dances, revealing more and more of himself. After the show, Ches does some flirting with Ellen Fields, top reporter for Teen Scene Magazine. Vinny sees them talking and discourages it. She keeps trying to get him to drink, but Vinny doesn't want him to slip up. We learn through conversation here that they actually recorded this entire performance and that Ches's first album will be the live show, but it was just one song. <laughs> So it's a single. I think the implication would be that they went and did more songs that we just didn't see. Well, later he says it was literally one song. Really? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, that was great, but it was one song. Gino says that the tour is going to be crazy, and Vinny says there won't be a tour because the plan is to only pop up and do something amazing when people least expect it. We get a montage of magazine covers wondering if Chez will ever play again. His single went gold, but he hasn't gotten to sing even a second song publicly yet. Like, he's in the room with Gino, and he goes, I, that was just one song. Can't, can't we do another show? Like, the, the one song I did went so well. And it's like, really? You yeah. just sang one song and then yeah. went silent for six months? I mean, maybe this is why I don't know who Fabian is, because they kept him a mystery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chez borrows Gino's keys to head out after hours and visit Ellen Fields for a date at her place. He promises to be back by midnight, but doesn't leave her place until the morning. He's drinking and driving back to the office when he blows a red light, and we cut to cops releasing Chez in exchange for tickets to Chez's next show, whenever <laughs> that might be. <laughs> <laughs> Chez and Vinny fight about what Chez should be allowed to do. Apparently, Chez's grandma signed over legal guardianship to Vinny, so as long as Chez is under 18, he kind of has to do what Vinny says. Uh, Vinny threatens to call Chez's grandma to talk about the problems that he had with the police this morning, and Chez agrees to do whatever Vinny wants as long as he doesn't tell grandma. Vinny visits Brenda and asks her to fire Ellen, but she refuses to fire her rapist employee because she is the best reporter they've got. Yep, because we're assuming she is overage. Yeah, because she's oh, yeah. the top reporter at a teen magazine. The scene is played like Vinny is the bad guy for trying to get her fired, but if he's done anything wrong here, it's not calling the police to get Ellen arrested. Uh, she should be more than fired from this job. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, a double standard of the time that, you know, I think that an older woman with a, with an underage boy is not going to be taken seriously, even if you called the cops, probably right. would not have been taken seriously. But he also had paperwork that proved that she had done this to other stars before. So she's constantly taking advantage of people in this industry in exchange for good notices. Mm -hmm. And that makes her a bad reporter. It just means that she's cheating to get the good stories that she gets because she's actually sleeping with all of the artists. Yeah. On their way into the next town, Vinny tells Brenda, Gino, and Chez that the upcoming show is getting huge press and everybody's going to love it. Gino points out that the story was buried in the local paper, and then Vinny slaps the paper out of his hand and throws it back in his face. Everybody acts like this is the first time Vinny has freaked out, and I, I don't understand. Like, everyone gives him these stares like, oh my god, he threw a yeah. newspaper. It's like, what? He screams at everybody nonstop. <laughs> when they get to the venue, there's a banner hanging over the door that reads, Cesare, go home, but it's all spelled wrong. I was I was hoping for more of a payoff on this. Like yeah. I, I it seems we get, we get two or three hints here in a row that people don't like people it. are mad that they're in Memphis, is it? It's Memphis. It's yeah. Memphis. Yeah, people are mad that they're in Memphis and and taking a 
you know, taking offense to it because it's, you know, it's Elvis country. Yeah. And But it's like, so you, you can't perform a different song here? This is Elvis land. Well, and, but it seems weird to me because then there's no payoff to this. Like, yeah. he, he has a sold out show and does fine. Yeah. <laughs> On the way in, Vinny asks Tony to get Ches a hooker to calm him down. Brenda asks what his problem is because he's being awful to everyone. What you did just now to Gino was horrible. Was it, though? He threw a newspaper at the guy. Yeah. I know he pretended like it hurt his face, but it was a newspaper. Chill out. When he had good intentions with that. Like, he was like, he didn't want to psych out Chez, yeah. in, you know, before his show with bad with bad juju yeah. or whatever. By the end of their fight, Brenda thinks that she can't get through to Vinny and walks away. If I want to talk to Chez, I'll do what the press does. I'll find him myself. As the show begins, the PA dedicates the first song to Cesare's idol Elvis Presley and the booing upset crowd who bought tickets to Cesare's show right. suddenly chill out and they're like, oh, well, if he likes Elvis. Like, literally, the music comes down and you hear one woman go, all right, Elvis! <laughs> well, also, it, it's the reason that they were so upset and booing was because they've been kept waiting for an hour. Yeah. They, they've been sitting in this venue for an hour without any performance. But they're able to chill them out so quickly by just being like, this guy likes Elvis. And they're like, we like Elvis. Oh, okay. Come on. Sing your song then. Cesare comes out singing However Dark the Night. After the show, the press wants to know if he'll be doing a tour this time. And he says, absolutely. But Vinny corners him in the dressing room and says, nope. <laughs> we want you to make as little money as possible and nothing you do matters on stage. You are nothing. You are nothing without me. When you were up on that stage tonight, it wasn't you. It was me, kid. Every note you sing is me. Every move you make is me. Chez punches Vinny in the face and demands his freedom. Later, Vinny learns that Chez has severed his contract and left for New York to work with Tommy. So, I don't think Vinny's wrong. Yeah. You don't think Vinny's wrong? No. I think Vinny's right here. That he's responsible for everything? Yeah. Yeah, I no, mean, I think he is too. Yeah. But it's not fair to to say you could be making hundreds of thousands of dollars on the road doing a tour every year and i'm not gonna let you do it we're just gonna do pop-ups every once in a while well i don't think that his goal is to prevent him from making money his goal is to maintain this mystery because it's the only reason that he's selling so big maybe i think Vinny is a terrible manager because he's created two monsters in the course of like three years and that he he does such a bad job managing them that they're they hate him and they rebel against him as yeah. soon as they can gino says that he'll stay behind with Vinny, but Vinny says no you gotta leave you gotta go with Chez because there's you're not gonna get anything out of being with me i'm i'm gonna leave town too for a while we see Vinny at home packing up his shit to take it on the road he takes one last look at all the gold and platinum records in his office and then we see Vinny playing a piano at home as his mom walks in to intervene and try and get Vinny back to work. But don't cut out the people who love you, Vincent. It don't do you no good. Vinny calls Brenda to announce he is breaking in a new singer at the Palisades tonight, and she might want to be there, but she tells him she's not interested. At the club, we learn that he is the new singer and that he can't do it on his own. <laughs> his music is uninteresting, and his singing is terrible. He's so bad. But Brenda shows up anyway. Yeah, but in the middle of the song, she shows up, and she seems moved by his awful music. We've been trying forever Ever since time began Trying to make heads or tails of love 
Trying to find the dream we're dreaming of Trying to find that one and only one And I believe it can be done For some reason, the very last shot is of Vinny pulling up his socks from the first couple shots of the movie. Yeah. I don't I, know why they cut back to that, but that's the end of our film. But the the fact that he keeps referring to Gino as his partner and everything made me think that they, they had a relationship or th- that these characters are based on the who the who the person who came up with the story had an actual relationship with, um Bob Marcucci. But uh but that it's sort of a can't stop the music situation where they're like we're not going to mention anything specific in the movie and then we're going to ha- you're just going to have a girlfriend for one scene so that people don't ask questions so cesare is a greek name mm-hmm. and it is a boy's name and i'm it sure it is apparently means long-haired <laughs> well that's perfect because his hair is so short and trim in this whole movie it's not sure he's got like a like a pompadour thing yeah a pompadour isn't long hair though it's pretty long Medium. hair for a guy in the 50s and 60s maybe yeah our director here was Taylor Hackford. He followed this one with An Officer and a Gentleman and Against All Odds. Later, he directed Blood In, Blood Out, Dolores Claiborne, and The Devil's Advocate. Also, Ray, mm-hmm. which, was it, did that get Best Picture or was it nominated? It, I think it was nominated, but... Uh, but Jamie Foxx got the Oscar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, writer Edward Lorenzo. he has TV writing credits mostly. Also, uh, he wrote the feature Lady Frankenstein, and he has an uncredited screenplay credit on Silent Rage. Producer Gene Kirkwood was the EP on Rocky, Gorky Park, Pope of Greenwich Village, and UHF. Composer Jeff Barry, he was a song producer on the Monkees TV series. He wrote the theme song for One Day at a Time, The Jeffersons, which I have never seen an episode of, but I know the whole theme song and I yeah. love it, <laughs> uh, and the Family Ties theme song. He's also well known for pop hits do a diddy diddy dum diddy do and da do ron 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 da do ron ron and then he kissed me and be my be my baby and chapel of love and (laughs) (laughs) river deep mountain high. I can't sing that one. I don't know that one. (laughs) Leader of the pack and sugar sugar. His son, John Coltonberry, is a writer and song composer for Phineas and Ferb, among other children's entertainment series, but he's written a lot of the series. Ray Sharkey played Vincent Vicari. We had him earlier this year as Ira in Heartbeat and Phil in Willie and Phil. He was Legs in Paradise Alley in 78. Tova Feldshoe played Brenda Roberts. She's Marilyn in Brewster's Millions. She's Older Jane in Silver Bullet. She's Mrs. Bubchick in Lady in the Water. Deanna Monroe on The Walking Dead. Naomi Bunch on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and Aunt Z in Star Wars Resistance. I thought she was just adorable in this yeah, movie. Yeah, she's she's yeah. totally adorable, and she's sweet. And, uh, and she I doesn't belong with Vinny. Yeah, there, no. there's no reason she would end up with him. I don't understand that relationship at all. Paul Land played Tommy D. This was his first of only three features before Stu in Spring Break and Big Sailor in Wild Orchid. The two songs he sings in the film were actually performed by Jesse Frederick, who is best known for writing and performing the theme song for Perfect Strangers. <gasps> Standing tall on the wings of my dreams. Full house everywhere you look. Step by step. Step by step. And maybe my favorite of all time, Family Matters. Oh my god. I it's think- a rare condition. 
this day and age. It makes so much sense. Good news. It's all the same guy. That makes so much sense now. All the TGIF lineup. All those songs always in my head were grouped together, and now I understand. It's all Jesse Frederick. (laughs) Good job, Jesse Frederick. You should have written the music for this movie. (laughs) Peter Gallagher played Cesare. This was his first film. Uh, he was John in Sex, Lies, and Videotape. He's Larry Levi in The Player. He's Vic Tanetta in Hudsucker Proxy. Peter in While You Were Sleeping. Bill Murray's brother in The Man Who Knew Too Little. Sandy Cohen on The O.C. And more recently, he's been Schmidt's dad, Gavin, on The New Girl. Um, are we not going to mention Center Stage? We need to mention Center Stage. Center Stage. <laughs> he also played Center Stage in the movie Center oh, Stage. He was Jonathan Reeves in Center Stage. Of course he was. <laughs> Joey Pants was Gino Pilato. He's Teddy, one of the John G's in Memento. He's Cypher in The Matrix. He's Captain Howard in Bad Boys. He's Eddie Moscone in Midnight Run. Guido in Risky Business. And he's wonderful. Maureen McCormick played Ellen Fields. She's best known as Marsha Brady in several shows. One of them (laughs) is called The Brady Bunch. Uh, Wait, Wait, there were more shows in which she was Marsha Brady? Yeah. Yeah, like Brady Bunch Wives. And and the variety hour and reboots and such uh she also shows up as herself in dickie roberts former child star directed by sam weisman a voice actor in and the brother of the writer of our previous film shogun assassin john apria played mario vicari that's the brother who ran the restaurant he's killer and bullet he's young tessio opposite bruno kirby's young clemenza in godfather part two and he's power executive in the game he was also the grandpa on Full House, Nick Katsopoulos, the father of Uncle Jesse and Danny Tanner's late wife, Pamela. Hmm. Richard Bright was Uncle Tony. He's the thief in The Getaway. He's Al Neary in Godfathers 1, 2, and 3, and Chicken Joe in Once Upon a Time in America. Olympia Dukakis was Mrs. Vicari. She won an Academy Award, Golden Globe, and BAFTA nomination for her performance in Moonstruck. I never understood the appeal of that movie. Moonstruck? I, I, I didn't did care not for like it. it at all. Yeah. She's also Marion in Away From Her and Claire Belcher in Steel Magnolias. Or Clary Belcher in Steel Magnolias. Renata Vanni played Mrs. Bevilacqua. She played Z. Mary in Fatso earlier this year. Jojo Damore played Harmon. He was in Gator as vendor number four in Alligator. <laughs> i kind of remember all the vendors <laughs> yeah like i don't remember him but i do remember all the alligator vendors like when they when they when well they is public. that vendors at the beginning in the no i think it's the people saying but get your alligator get the your people baby that alligators. were literally selling alligators outside yeah. of the echo park lake uh shelly kirkwood played nightclub fan likely related to gene kirkwood uh since she also worked as a publicist on this film she's also a publicist for pope of greenwich village which gene worked on and better off dead one crazy summer predator two father of the bride the american president strip tease three kings garfield and national treasure tony munifo played mr vicari's assistant he was previously lucan's guard in just tell me what you want and collector number two in the exterminator after this he has a lot of small parts in stallone movies rhinestone first blood part two over the top rocky five oscar the specialist daylight he also produced cobra over the top rambo three lock up tango and cash stopper my mom will shoot cliffhanger demolition man and judge dread 
James Saito played Eddie. Yeah. Love James Saito. I don't know who Eddie was. But I don't I remember him. Eddie in this whole movie, but I love I love James Saito. Uh, he's Ming in the Golden Triangle, of course, which is uh, MacGyver season one, episode two. Of course it is. He's also Mr. <laughs> Deng in Henry Fool. He's Randall Park's dad in the Netflix movie Always Be My Maybe, but he's best known for having been Orokosaki himself, Shredder, in the first live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. But he's so funny in Always Be My Maybe, so please yeah, look that up. He's, he's really, great. he's just hilarious. Uh, we should talk about the editors. For some reason, there's three of them, but I don't... I Sounds mean, like a troubled production situation. Yeah, but at the same time, these are top-notch editors. Yeah, Arthur uh, Schmidt especially. Yeah, so um, yeah, so we have Arthur Schmidt, so he did... Uh, Let's see. Jaws 2. He did Coal Miner's Daughter earlier this year. Okay. Um, he did Back to the Future. He did Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future 2 and 3. So as he's well. a Zemeckis guy, too. Uh, the Rocketeer, Death Becomes Her, The Last of the Mohicans, Adam's Family Values, Forrest Gump, The Birdcage, uh, What Lies Beneath, which I think the editing on that is very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Castaway, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, tons of stuff. Cool. Um, so then one of the other two, Stephen Porter, also on Jaws 2, um, he did Dances with Wolves, and then he did a bunch of TV stuff. He did some Wonder Years and Party of Five. Uh, but what we, was that All the President's Men on there? Oh, he was in the editorial department. He was probably oh, okay. an assistant. Uh, yeah, he's assistant editor on, oh, Blazing Saddles, All the President's Men. Yeah. Cujo. Cool. Nice. Uh, and uh, then we also have Neil Travis. So there's some crossover here because Neil Travis also did Dances with Wolves um, and Jaws 2. So all three of them were on Jaws That's 2. That's so weird. Uh, this movie came from the three <laughs> editors of Jaws 2? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with that. Um, he uh, And then so Neil um, Neil Travis also does, does next year's uh, Nobody's Perfect. Uh, this isn't even a universal movie. And he Why did would there Cujo. Be- um he also was on dances with wolves i said um some of all fears bicentennial man wow Tremor, or terminator 3 oh, i thought you were gonna say tremors 3 no sorry terminator back to 3. perfection <laughs> i'll take that over rise of the machines stepmom you know everybody's favorite outbreak i love outbreak yeah it's great <laughs> not right now but it's great <laughs> that's very cool yeah so those three editors of fame made this yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really care for this one. I think it's a little slow going. I don't really root for anybody because yeah. they they actually gave every character too many character flaws, and so I don't want Vinny to succeed. I'm not worried about him getting what he wants. I both of the singers seem like kind of vapid jerks. Yeah. Um. So I don't care if either one of them succeeds, and it's also a very low budget story about someone becoming famous and so none of the performances are great and also the songs are not good um and when this when the songs are bad uh then i think it hurts the story a lot it'd be better if they were just doing like covers of existing songs Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. um or even getting the life rights to these two singers to do a real movie about yeah but like we said they they wouldn't have wanted that Unless they rewrote it in a way that was flattering to them, like the Bohemian Rhapsody movie or something where they're like, oh, well, sure. the band said only make them look good and everyone has to be in every shot. And so they're like, okay. Yeah. And I have a sneaky suspicion that they just couldn't spend that kind of money on this movie to get the rights to anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's 
it didn't make that much money so no but it, it it hit award season hard which was it surprised me that it was in contention for so much because there, there's really not a lot to the story yeah i didn't particularly like it i mean it wasn't i also don't think it needed to be two hours <laughs> no that's for sure but yeah it's because nothing really happens i yeah. mean it's like yeah you guys sang some songs you got a guy to be famous Good but job. if if you're going to show us a whole eight minute musical number, it has to be like a full scale, like fully produced song. It can't just be like a chorus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think this movie should have been about one guy, like yeah. like him, him mentoring and creating, and then things slowly getting out of control to that he loses it. Yeah. Um. But if you had to have a second guy, it should have been like the movie Rockstar. Where the guy's literally walking out the door in the first scene mm-hmm. so that the next guy can move into his place. Yeah, that but, makes sense to me. But but to create two identical problems, mm-hmm. like, that, there's clearly something wrong with your technique. Well, I think that a, a big part of the problem with this is it's coming from the people who lived it, you know, right. where it's much more interesting when it happened to you in the time because there's a lot more nuance to it that you're just not capturing here and... It's just, it's not really, broad strokes is not really a very interesting story. Yeah, and I think if you're going to make an an autobiographical biopic that you either stick to the story of what actually happened to you, including the details of the people, mm-hmm. or you change it to make it more of a movie. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah, if you're not going to bother to make it about these guys, then make it more interesting. Yeah. Have somebody die. Have a dinosaur show up. Have some up. consequences. Yeah dinosaur consequences <laughs> <laughs> the, the worst kind. <laughs> um because i mean again if you're looking at it from a character standpoint like does does Vinny grow and change as a character i don't really feel that he does too much except that he he goes out on his own at the end but that's not even the climax of the movie it's 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 literally the last five minutes of of the movie if yeah. that it's maybe even less than that and we don't see the outcome of him going out on his own mm-hmm. which is that everyone forgets to applaud because they thought it was a radio playing because it was such a boring song mm-hmm. and i mean i think the point of that last performance is supposed to be that he's not a performer that he's a he can write stuff and he can play the piano but he's not a singer and he's not a dancer on stage and so I feel like it would be more interesting to follow his story a couple days later. And yeah. Have him like get home and realize, oh, they, I needed them way more than they needed me. Uh, and I, I wanted it to go another way. I wanted it to be like he's, he's breaking in a new artist and you see him there and he like, he's at the bar and he says, hey, thanks for giving me this shot. Thanks for this shot to the guy. Yeah. This is anything, you know, anytime, Vinny. And we see Gino, Joey Pants, go up to the piano. It's like, oh my God, he's finally getting him his chance yeah that would he's be gonna cool. play piano and he, this is gonna be his he's he's helping now his friend the person he should have been helping this whole time who's been with him this whole time yeah. the person who's not gonna turn on him yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that and would i be thought great i thought that that's what was gonna happen but then he gets up and starts saying i was like oh no what are you doing you're ruining gino's audition <laughs> <laughs> anyway, not all about you this is a down for me for sure yeah same here there's just not enough to it yeah it's a down but there's a there's a line specifically that bothered me from Vinny when he's at the table with his father and his father says something about like, oh, yeah, we had to do what we had to do to survive. And then 
he says, like, I remember, I remember my my mother. I remember my mother when we when when I was young, and he like stumbles over the line two or three times, and it didn't feel like a character choice. It felt like he was trying to remember the line, and there's a couple moments like that over the course of this film where he's he's getting too deep into his like angry voice and he's forgetting what he's supposed to be saying mm-hmm. and uh and i feel like he he leans too heavily on that the shouty thing in this movie yeah. um he didn't do that in willie and phil um i mean Although maybe he did, a couple he, times. he did a little bit <laughs> yeah but but it wasn't every scene where he's just shouting at people yeah do we know where this is going letterboxd wise I have it pretty low. I'm sorry. Did we get a up or down from you? I, I gave it a down. Okay. I have it pretty low. I have it at um, 115. It's uh, below Resurrection and above Times Square. Okay. Richard. Uh, I have it right below the movie that's it, it is exactly like One Trick Pony. Uh, so I have it at 100, just below One Trick Pony and right above Holy Moses. You think it's exactly like One Trick Pony? I didn't care about the guy in One Trick Pony, and I don't care about this guy. I think that was a better made movie, though. At least had really good music. <laughs> that's true. Well, the music yeah. was awesome. But that's what's crazy is that, like, okay, so that movie, the music was great. Why was that music so much better? Because there was a guy working on this movie, writing the music for it, that wrote all these great pop songs from the era that yeah. these songs came out. Yeah. So why was the music so bad? Is it Should they have gotten someone who had written fresher hits to uh impersonate like a like a bruno mars type person who can write 60s music now and Mm. do a really good job of it was it that he was too old to write good music anymore well i don't know i feel like you also if if that's your career i don't know if i wasted on this movie like i'm gonna save the best stuff for the actual artist singing Mm -hmm. songs but maybe it's gonna be one of those movies where the soundtrack goes crazy um or you just make it a straight up musical and then it's like like a grease situation um anyway idol maker i'm putting it just below times square and just above private eyes in 113 that's where i have it i think that's about everything for this one if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram and letterboxd where as i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you take the time to leave us a review we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode and on that note i'd like to offer a shout out to june at the murders mysteries and meows podcast for her itunes review thank you so much if you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Running Scared, which IMDb describes like so. It's 1961. Two servicemen smuggle a box of military gear to USA. To USA. <laughs> Leroy tries <laughs> Leroy tries out a military camera and accidentally takes a picture of some military facilities. Army finds one of the pictures <laughs> and thinks they're communist spies. That's so all. thanks to the AI that wrote that. But also, I'm very excited about this movie. This is not like your father's running scared. It doesn't or... include any articles yeah. of any sort. <laughs> <laughs> That's really exciting. All the words that will be missing from this film. Um, it also doesn't have... Uh, it's not either of the other two running scared movies that I've heard of. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see what this one's about. We leave you now with the trailer for Running Scared. I ain't showed you this yet. 
This here's my special discharge bonus from Uncle Sam. What did you do, around the PX? Two damn years I gave them crumb bums. Spraying DDT in every goddamn mud hole in the canals on this don't near even the square, I'll tell you that. You know, I can't figure out whether you're so dumb on purpose or whether it just comes naturally to you. <laughs> 